To you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. O my God, in you I trust. Let me not be put to shame. Let not my enemies exult over me. Indeed, none who wait for you shall be put to shame. They shall be ashamed who are wantonly treacherous. Make me to know your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Lead me in your truth and teach me, for you are the God of my salvation. For you I wait all the day long. It's from Psalm 25 that we read this week on January 30th. And I have a goal for this podcast. That God, by the power of the Holy Spirit, would light a fire within you that was lit within me over 25 years ago when I was sitting in a Biola classroom by one of my professors who challenged me like never before to set my foot down and trust in God, no matter what would come. He lit that fire in me all those years ago, and I have walked this journey of faith, and he has never let me down. But today, my goal is to light that same fire in you. You see, in a lot of Christian circles, we hear, I do all the time, we hear about trusting God, but we don't see it. And today, I want to light a fire in you to trust God with the kind of faith that we can see, the kind of faith that we can sink our teeth into, a kind of reckless abandon that says, I'm going to put my foot down right here on the promises of God, and I will not be moved. Remember years ago, I was listening to a sermon. I don't, I don't even remember who it was or really what the sermon was about, but one phrase stuck out to me that I've never forgotten. Turn with me to Acts 20. In verse, uh, let's see, let's start in verse 22. It says this, talking about Paul's faith. It says, And now behold, I am going to Jerusalem constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. But I do not account my life of any value, nor is precious to myself, if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I received from the Lord to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. Now, it's interesting because I went back just a few days ago as I was thinking about this podcast, and I, and I went back to this verse, but there was a phrase missing. And I realized, and I didn't take a lot of time to study it, but I realized that in some translations of the Bible, like the, the King James Version, the New King James Version, I think maybe even the Living Bible, there is a little phrase in between these two verses, and I'm going to read Read it with that verse in. Verse 23 or 22. Now, now, and now behold, I am going to Jerusalem constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. 
And here's the phrase. But none of these things move me. But none of these things move me. It doesn't matter what comes. It doesn't matter what I face. It's not going to move me. Because I do not account my life of any value. Nor is precious to myself if only I may finish my course. And that is what this podcast is about. That kind of faith that no matter what comes, we set our feet down on the promises of God and say with the Apostle Paul, none of these things move me. I will not be moved. I will trust in him and I will wait for him back in Psalm 25. I will wait for him all day long. When I was studying Psalm 25 this week, I, I just thought, you know, I know, you know, I, I've never really looked up the word trust in the Bible. I just think, oh, I know what that is. But I love that sometimes when we dig a little deeper, we get new perspective and new understanding of what the word means. And so I looked it up this week. And that word trust in Psalm 25, to you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. Oh my God, in you, I trust. Listen to this. It means to go quickly for refuge. To go quickly for refuge, to be confident. And I love this, to be bold. Isn't that what the Apostle Paul just said? None of these things move me. Imprisonment is coming. Afflictions are coming. And no matter what comes, I'm going to be bold. And I will wait. That word wait, I also looked up that word and I I loved this as well. It says it was originally a word that meant to twist, to stretch with the tension that needs enduring like a rope. And isn't that what waiting does to our souls so many times? We can be, as we're waiting for God, so many, so many times we just feel this tension like we're going to break. But that's what he calls us to. We're going to be trusting in him. We're going to run to him with rep for refuge. We're going to be confident. We're going to be bold. And no matter what we have to endure, no matter how we're twisted, no matter how we're stretched, we're going to wait for him. On January 28th of this week, um, something that I do when I read the one-year Bible is I, instead of just breaking up the Proverbs into little pieces, sometimes I like to read the entire chapter of Proverbs that corresponds with the date, so I can get kind of a whole chunk at one time. Well, this is what I was doing um, this week as I was studying what it meant to trust and studying what it meant to wait, and I was thinking about these things, and I read Proverbs 28.1, and it says this, The wicked flee when no one pursues, but the righteous are bold as a lion. And I love that. And I looked up that word bold because I thought that's what I want to be. That's the type of person I want to be. But when I opened up and I looked up the meaning of that word, it was the word to trust. It was the word to trust. The righteous have the trust that are bold as a lion. And And in Proverbs 30, it says, the lion is mightiest among the beasts. 
The lion is mighty. And according to God's word, the, the mighty, the lion does not turn back before any. The righteous are bold. They run quickly to God for refuge. They are confident and they do not turn back for any. That's what I want to do in this podcast. So I am praying that my God, through the Holy Spirit, would light a fire in you to be bold as a lion. Oh God, I pray that you do it. I pray that you do it in me every day for the rest of my life and for any within the sound of my voice. Oh God, would you make them bold as a lion that none of these things would move us. And to do this, we're going to go back to where we left off last week. We, we saw the fall of mankind. We delved into that. We looked into what that means. We looked a little bit at the very end at Cain and Abel. And today we're going to look at the lives and the faith of two men, Noah and Abraham. We saw with the fall of man that mankind was no longer bearing the perfect image of God. When they were created, there was no evil in them. Now we see sin and corruption and selfishness and every kind of evil you can imagine. And it came quickly. Look with me in, uh, let's see, Genesis 6, 5 through 7. It says this. This is only in chapter 6 of Genesis, so we're only a couple chapters later. It says, The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord regretted that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him to his heart. So the Lord said, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of this land, man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heavens, for I am sorry that I have made them. The Lord was grieved. If you want to know what Satan's kingdom looks like, it's corruption and lies and every kind of evil desire, so that when you look into the heart of man, every single thought and intention of the heart is wicked. Every single one. And it grieved the Lord that he had made mankind. You know, so many times... We don't understand God. We don't understand how God can bring justice to the wicked. But God is altogether good. And the corruption of man cannot live with him. Period. And I just want to say this. And this is from Psalm 24.1. It says, The earth is the Lord's and everyone who dwells in it. Every single person who dwells on the face of the earth, he is God's. And he can choose to live in rebellion 
or bend the knee, but regardless, the earth is the Lord's and every man or woman who dwells in it. So I don't have to defend God when he brings his justice on the people of corruption. He did it then, and I'm going to tell you he will do it again. We're going to look at that in a minute, but look with me at Psalm 5. We, we studied the beginning of this verse several weeks ago, but it just goes so perfectly with what we're looking at here, with what had happened to mankind and how God destroys them with the flood. It says this, For you are not a God who delights in wickedness. Evil may not dwell with you. The boastful shall not stand before your eyes. You hate all evildoers. You destroy those who speak lies. The Lord abhors the bloodthirsty and deceitful man. God was grieved when he looked down at mankind and he saw this. There is not even one, not even one who has even a thought of good. And the flood is not a cute Sunday school story. It is a holy God destroying evil, period. And like I said, it is a picture and a warning to us that God will one day, once again, hold evil men to account. He will not do it with a flood. He promised Noah that would never happen again, but it will come with a fire. Be warned. The evil man will be held to account. Don't be like that. Choose this day whom you will serve. Choose this day whom you will serve. And I love that when everything looks hopeless, when God looks down on the face of mankind and sees no one but Noah. But Noah. There's so many but God statements in the Bible. And here it is, but Noah. He looked down, searched the world over, and he looked into the heart of Noah and found one, one man, and he found favor in the eyes of God. The wickedness of man was great, and every intention of the thoughts in his heart was only evil all the time, but Noah was a righteous man. And we can get all confused with what it means to be righteous, but I love the simple definition. He did what was right. He did what was right. He was, it's the Bible says he was blameless. He was undefiled, unmarred, and uncorrupted from the world around him. Everyone else was corrupt. Everyone. Can you imagine that when there's not a single other person you can look to for support? There was not a single person, but Noah did what was right. He was blameless in his generation. He was undefiled, unmarred, and uncorrupted from the world around him. 
And it says, he chose to walk with God. I thought about this as I was preparing this. I thought, what? The Bible talks a lot about walking with God. What does that look like? What does it look like to walk with God? And I just thought, you know, if I'm walking next to someone, I'm keeping the same pace with them. I'm not going ahead. I'm not falling behind. We're going in the same direction and we're not turning away. And that's what Noah did. He was walking with God. He was going in the same direction as God. Everyone else was going the opposite way. Noah was going side by side in the same direction, doing what was right in a wicked generation. And we learned that in Second Peter, we learn not only was he that, but it says he was a herald of righteousness. And a herald means a preacher, a town crier, proclaiming that there's critical news. There's critical news. And he was a preacher and a proclaimer of this critical news. A flood is coming. God is going to destroy the world. And he had 120 years. And Noah, the only man, was the town crier, the preacher of right righteousness, testifying to the blameless deeds of God and calling men into account. He was a herald of righteousness. And then in verse 7, 5, and it says, And Noah did all that the Lord commanded him. And it says he believed God and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. It says that in Hebrews. He believed God and he became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith in God. Noah did all that was commanded of him. So what about us? What about you? Are you willing, like Noah, to stand up and to be the man, to be the woman who will walk with God, though everyone else falls away? Will you obey God even when his promise is long in coming. God said, 120 years. I'm going to do this for 120 more years, and then I'm sending a flood. And Noah had to believe God for 120 years. And listen, he'd never seen rain. And he's building a boat, and he's never seen rain, a flood. Don't you know that he was mocked? Don't you know that people thought he was crazy? Everyone else is walking a different direction. And my challenge to you, my challenge to myself is, will you be the one who stands up in this corrupt generation and believe God? And no matter what comes, say, I will not be moved. The names of my sons are Caleb and Joshua. And it's the same story, different generation. We're going to get to it. And I named my boys this because all the other spies in Israel did not believe God. 
And they all were going to turn away. And they were even going to stone Caleb and Joshua. But Caleb and Joshua stood their ground and says, if everyone else turns away, if everyone else turns away, I will believe God. And when I was choosing the names for my sons, I said, I want to na- raise boys who will be like that. Though everyone else turns away, will you be the one? And we can look, we can look back at Psalm 25 and says, those who trust in the Lord, those who believe him will not be put to shame. And we can look back at Noah and we can read his story and say, Noah was not put to shame. He was not put to shame, but became part of the preparation of the kingdom of God. You see, had it not been for Noah, the entire human race would have been wiped out. Your life, my life comes because of the faith of this one man. And if you listen to the other podcasts, we talk week after week about the kingdom of God. That he's making for himself a people who would surrender to his reign and live in partnership with him, walking day by day. And that is exactly what we see. He alone saved the human race. And through him would one day bring the birth of the king, the Messiah. We see as we travel further into the book of Genesis, we see that this Messiah would come through the line of Shem. We see nations being formed as Canaan is cursed and Shem is considered righteous. And we see that now through this line, the kingdom is being prepared. And through this line, through Noah, through his son Shem, we come to the man of faith, Abraham. Oh, how I wish I could, but I can't because time would never permit me to go verse by verse through the story of this man. There's just not enough time. There's so much here. But for my purpose today, I simply want to examine his faith. He's really the father of faith. Throughout the whole Bible, this man is going to be talked about. This man's faith is going to be exemplified, gone back to time and time and time again as an example of the faith that we're supposed to have, the kind of faith that is bold before the Lord and that we want to have that kind of trust. We know when we look back at these stories Romans, in in the book of um, Romans, the Apostle Paul tells us this. It says, For whatever was written in former days was written for instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. And I love that. Because we can look back at the story of Noah and see he waited 120 years, but God, God's promise was sure. He did what he said he was going to do. 
but he had endurance. That waiting, that rope that was twisted, he was pulled. But just like in this, in this verse, it says that the scriptures were given us that we would have that same kind of endurance. That we would be able to put our hope in God because he's seen what he's done in the past. So we look at the life of Abraham. And the first thing, let's see, if you turn to chapter 11, we see where he came from. It says, now these are the generations of Terah. Terah fathered Abram. That was his name before God changed it to Abraham. Terah fathered Abram, Nahor, and Haran. And Haran fathered Lot. Haran Haran died in the presence of his father Terah in the land of his kindred, in Ur of the Chaldeans. And Abram and Nahor took wives. The name of Abram's wife was Sarai. And the name of Nahor's wife Milcah, the daughter of Haran and the father of Milcah. But then there's this verse, verse 30, says, Now Sarai was barren, she had no child. It's the foretelling. It's giving us a taste of what is to come. She had no child, and that is the basis for this entire story. But isn't it funny how scripture sometimes can make a statement and that statement is actually, if you were to think about the life that we think she was a real human being. Abraham was a man. Sarah was barren. She had no child. Just think of it for a second. What kind of tears and heartache How many years of waiting, years and longing? How many tears are packed into this simple sentence? And Sarai was barren. And what's crazy about this to me, when I look back at this story, again, we see one man, one And I wonder what was in the mind of God. Because we learn in the book of Joshua that Terah and his descendants, Abraham, he wasn't a worshiper of Yahweh. He was an idol-worshipping man in an idol-worshipping country with an idol-worshipping father. But God. Second Chronicles 16.9, one of my favorite verses in all of scripture, says the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to strongly support, to strongly support those whose heart is completely his. But get this, that wasn't Abraham. That wasn't Terah, his father. The eyes of the Lord roamed to and and fro throughout the earth, looking to strongly support those whose heart is fully his. Abraham was an idol-worshipping man. But God looked down, 
And he saw something in that man and says, but he is mine. And I will show him what it means to have faith in the one true God. And God went to him and set him apart and called him to be his. And he became the father of faith. An idol-worshipping man. Caleb and I were talking about this in the last week as we were looking at this passage in Scripture. And we think, you know, what did that look like? It doesn't say. It doesn't say how God came to Abraham. It just says he did. So we see the call of God in Genesis 12. He says, Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make you a great nation. And I will bless you. And I will make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. And him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you All the families of the earth shall be blessed. So God came and said, leave. Abraham, get up and go. He didn't say where. He just said, go. I'm going to show you, but here's what I want you to do. I want you to leave your family, leave your idols, leave everything behind and get up and follow me. I'm going to make you into a great nation. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to make your name great. You're going to be a blessing. And even further, the greatest promise to ever come in the history of mankind came to Abraham. And he said, in you, all of the families of the earth will be blessed You could read it if you read further in the New Testament. It's in you, meaning in your seed. All the families of the earth are going to be blessed. Now, do you remember last time we looked at this word, bless? See, when God created Adam and Eve, it says he blessed them. But what did that word mean? We looked at it, we studied it, and we saw that word meant to kneel to kneel, that God had created Adam and Eve to live in this kneeled, surrendered relationship. That they were to rule their world and govern the Garden of Eden. That was their job. They were going to have dominion over the earth. But it was going to be in this blessed relationship with God where he was sovereign, he was ruler over all, and they walked in this intimate partnership with him, ruling under the authority of God. And that was broken. The fall of mankind broke it all. And that relationship, that intimate partnership, that blessed relationship was broken. But God saw this man, this idol-worshiping man, and he says, I see something in him, this man This man will believe me and I'm going to take him and through his seed, all the families of the earth will be blessed 
will be back into that blessed relationship, that kingdom relationship where now he is now our God. We are willingly surrendered to him. But the beauty of it is he walks with us. Listen, Psalm 95, again, we looked at it. Oh, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel. That's that blessed. That's that word blessed. We're going to kneel before the Lord, our God, our maker. For he is our king. I had a couple conversations this week with different people. And we were, we were talking about this exact thing, this exact verse, this blessed relationship. It was all messed up. And Christ came, the seed of Abraham came to restore it and to bring it back. And I told this one gentleman, I said, I live the most glorious life in the world. It's simply glorious because I have kneeled before him. And because I have, he is my shepherd. I have need of nothing. He takes care of me. I don't have to be afraid. I have perfect contentment no matter what comes. Because he walks with me. He strengthens me. He fills my heart with joy and gladness to overwhelming. Even when I'm broken. I live the most glorious life. So many people are afraid of surrender. But I'm here as a testimony to say it's the most glorious life you could ever have when he is your king. And you don't need to be afraid. You don't need to be afraid. Abraham, through your seed, all of the families of the earth will be blessed. They'll be kneeled and they'll be back into this surrendered, right, beautiful relationship with God. But the first thing he called Abraham to do was go. Get up and go and follow me. And Abraham went as the Lord had told him. He obeyed. And I'm going to stop here in the story for one minute and say this, that the same call of God to get up, to leave the idol-worshipping nation, is to everyone within the sound of my voice. Just like Noah, we live in a wicked generation. Just like Abraham, we live right now in an, an idolatrous nation. And all those who are hearing my voice right now, God is calling to rise up and walk with him and follow him. Jesus said, Leave everything. Get up. 
Come apart from them. The book of Hebrews says, come apart from them and be separate. The call of God to Abraham, the call to you and me is to get up and to go and follow him wherever he leads. Don't fool yourself into believing you can have a relationship with God and not go and not follow him where he would lead us. He is Lord and he is king. It's time for us to get up and go. And Abraham was looking forward to that seed of Christ that would renew and bring about that blessing of God. But you know what? We're looking back. Jesus has done it. He has made a way. He has outstretched his arms, like it says in the book of Exodus. He saved us with outstretched arms. And he bought us. And he deserves our everything. So Abraham, we see as we follow the story through, Abraham got up and he obeyed. He obeyed God, got up and left, and God brought him to the land of Canaan. And the first thing he said to Abraham when he got to this land is that, Abraham, I'm going to give you descendants. Abraham was 75 years old, and his wife, they already knew, was barren. But he said, Abraham, listen, I'm going to give you descendants. And if you go outside in the wilderness, in the dust, all those pieces of dust, that's how many descendants you're going to have. But back to the beginning of the story. She's barren. She can't have a baby. This is impossible. Don't you know we've tried? It said she was past the point of childbearing. Maybe she had, that means she had entered menopause. Can you imagine? Abraham, I'm going to give you descendants. And your wife is barren. You can't make this stuff up. Because God loves impossible situations. He wants us. I would say he even creates within us impossible situations so that we would have to trust him, that we would have to be bold, that we would have to run to him quickly for refuge. This was planned. God closed her womb. God made it impossible for Abraham. And my guess is he's going to make it impossible for you. You're going to have to trust him too. Because that's what it means to walk with God, to believe him, no matter what comes our way. And in chapter 15, God comes to Abraham in a vision. And I love this. He comes to Abraham in a vision and he says, Don't be afraid. I am your shield. And your reward will be very great. Some translations say, I am your reward. But regardless, he came to Abraham and he said, fear not. Listen, if God says, fear not, we can make the assumption that Abraham was afraid. So God comes, Abraham. Don't be afraid. I am your shield. I am the one 
you can come to for refuge. Don't be afraid. And this meant a lot to me. I'd never thought about this before. I never thought that Abraham was afraid. Because let me tell you, God calls us to trust in him. And sometimes we have to do it scared. We're called to trust him even when we're afraid. That's what he said to Abraham. Fear not. I am your shield. I am your shield. You can run quickly to me for refuge and I'm going to protect you. But my promise is sure. And he repeats his promise. I am a nation. And finally, Abraham has the guts to say, how are you going to do this, God, when my heir is Eleazar? I don't have a child. My wife is barren. And God says, go outside. And look at the stars. We don't see it like Abraham did. We see a couple stars. But out in that wilderness, there's no lights. And can you imagine what he saw? How many stars are there, Abraham? That is what I'm going to do with you. Your reward for trusting me is going to be great. Your reward is going to be great. And Abraham believed the Lord. And it was credited to him as righteousness. Abraham believed God. Sink your teeth into this for a minute. His wife Aaron, is going to have as many children through her stars in the sky. Because nothing is impossible with God. Nothing. But I want you to understand what his faith looked like. And to do this, the New Testament gives us a lot of further insight into this man, this man of faith. And I want to look with you real quick at Romans chapter 4, verse 17. It says this, as it is written, back in the book of Genesis where we've been reading, as it is written, I have made you a father of many nations in the presence of the God in whom he believed, who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. See, that's what our God can do. He can call into existence the things that do not exist. Is your marriage completely dead? God can call things into existence. He's able to create out of nothing. This is the faith of Abraham. He calls into existence the things that do not exist. In hope, 
he believed against all hope. I like the other translation. The NIV says this, against all hope. Against all hope. Abraham believed that he should become the father of many nations. As he has been told, so shall your offspring be. Listen, he did not weaken in his faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead since he was about 100 years old, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. No unbelief, no unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. Abraham looked at the situation and he considered the promise of God and he believed him. And now, no matter how impossible it seemed, he would not be moved. I am standing here on the promise of God And I will not be moved. How do we bring this into our lives? I never just want to leave you with a story without saying, how do we do it? What does it look like now? So I'm going to tell you a story of when these verses came to play in my life and and totally transformed me. Um, I've shared with you, if you've, if you've been going on this journey with me, I've shared with you about our adoption with Mary Grace. So this was a time in my life where our adoption of Mary Grace had been complete and we were totally in love. We'd been to China and yet when we saw all the orphans and we knew how many millions of orphans were left behind, we knew we wanted to go again. We just did. And so after we got home, the conversation, it didn't take very long before the conversation started again about, are we going to do this again? And uh, both of us were pretty, Derek and I both were pretty much immediately said, yes, we want to. But I've talked with you guys before about my kids and... um, Many of you who know me know this about me, that I'm kind of different in the way that I name my kids. I know I talked about this in podcasts I did about Mary's story. So when I, when I began to think about if we would adopt again, I began to think through all of the names in the Bible, all the names in the Bible, and I knew it would probably be a girl. I was expecting it to be a girl. from China. Thinking through all the female names in the Bible, I thought, I just don't. I don't know. I I need a story. I need a story. And I just started to think about it, started to chew on it for a while. And then um, as we're moving forward, we're just really talking about adoption. Um, This one night I got called over to my neighbor's house, Amy's house. And it was late one night and her kids were sick and she needed to take one one of them to urgent care and her husband was gone. So she says, hey, kids are asleep upstairs. I need to go into urgent care. Would you come and just sit in my living room and, you know, in case my kids wake up? So I said, sure. Went over to her house. And when I did, I brought with me my Bible 
in my journal and just really rolling over in my mind the thought of adoption and going again. We had, like I said, we had finished Mary Grace. You guys know that story. It had just been this huge thing God had done. And I thought, I'm going to start again. But I didn't have a name. And this was a really big deal to me. So I'll, I'll never forget it because I, t- I took out my journal and I wrote this question. I said, God, if it is your will for us to adopt again, would you give me her name? Would you give me her story? Because all my kids, they're named after not just their names, it's their stories. So as I was writing this, God, if it is your will for us to adopt again, would you give me her name? Now, sometimes we have to wait on God and process with God. That's not what happened. Because as soon as I uttered the question, as soon as I wrote the question, God had an answer. And as clear as day, he said, Esther, joy. Esther, joy. So I thought, Esther, Esther, really? So I opened quickly, opened my Bible to the book of Esther. I kind of just opened it and the pages just fell open to the middle of the story. And I laid my eyes on the very first verse that I saw in the book of Esther. I just looked down and this, was, I, this is what I saw. Three words. Esther was adopted. I was stunned. Esther was adopted. Oh my goodness. She was adopted by Mordecai. She was born to be queen for such a time as this. God, you've given me her story. God, you answered me. It is your will for us to go to China and her name will be Esther Joy. I ran home. I I waited. I waited for Amy to get home. I didn't abandon her children, but I ran home and I went. My husband was asleep. I woke him up. I shook him. I said, God just gave me her name, Derek. He means for us to adopt again. He gave me her name, Esther Joy. Of course, my husband's funny. He always goes along with me. <laughs> he always goes along. He says, I love the name Esther. Of course you do. He, he just always does. He's so good to me. But he says, I have always loved the name Esther. He says, that's perfect. And just like that, we were settled. We're going to China again. And we're going to adopt a little girl, and her name is Esther Joy. When we were getting near to the end of our adoption with Mary Grace for our anniversary, Derek took me out to dinner one night, and he gave me a locket. And inside the locket was a a place to put Mary's picture, the first picture that we got of her from China. And I took that locket, and I went to the mall, and I took it, and I had her name engraved on the back of the locket. And I did so because in the Old Testament, the priests would wear the stones on the breastplate over their heart. And it was stones of symbolizing, it was 12 different stones symbolizing the people of Israel. And it was sort of like a prayer 
for them over their hearts. And so I, I, I took this locket and I had Mary's name engraved on it and I wore it over my heart as a prayer, a continuous prayer before my God of my little girl across the world. And when God said to me, Esther Joy, I took my locket the next day back to that same jeweler. And I said, can you fit it? Because I, you have to write another name on here. I'm going back to China. He looked at me like I was crazy, but I'm going back to China and I need her name here so I can carry her over my heart. And that day I had Esther Joy written on my locket. But there were some other things going on with me during that time. And um, I have always battled depression. There were piece of it, pieces of it when I was in high school. I can look back into my college years and see just some incredibly deep valleys that I went through. And as we were coming kind of after the, the Mary Grace thing, after the Esther thing, I started to go into a very, very deep valley. I don't really know how to describe it. Um, it, was, it was a heaviness and a darkness that began to settle over me that, that I could not lift. See, usually the way it had always gone for me is I could dip down into depression and sort of fight my way out of it. But um, this time was different. This time, a darkness and a depression, a heaviness settled over me, and I could not make it go away. Um... And I just wrestled. I wrestled and wrestled and wrestled. But it felt like the more I wrestled with this, the more I wrestled with it, the deeper it became. And what started as a weight, what started as a darkness, became a crushing, relentless agony. I felt day in and day out, like I was being crushed into the ground. And I could not make it go away. Now, for a long time, I I battled this in secret. If you would look at me back in those days, I would often go upstairs. See, I had kids. I didn't want this to affect them. And so I battled in secret. I, I would go and I would hide in my closet or I would lock the door to my room and just be in an agonizing ball on the ground, just crying out to God. I remember this one time at one of my lowest of lows, I would go to the park with my Bible. And this one time I was there at the park with my Bible and it began to just pour rain. It was just pouring rain. And if you could have seen me, if you would have come to the park, fortunately there was no one there, but if you would have looked down, you would have seen this woman on the concrete, face down, sobbing for relief and comfort and help. 
was completely desperate. And I felt like my faith had failed. I felt like I should be able to pray my way out of this, that I should have enough faith. If I could just muster enough faith up, it would be better. I mean, the Bible says, rejoice in the Lord always. But I couldn't do that. The Bible says, be anxious for nothing. But I was dying. After my friend Karen died, God gave me some of the most faithful friends a woman could ever have. Jan, Valerie, and Lillian. And when I finally got up enough courage, when I felt like I could not go another day, I finally shared with them. And I'm just telling you, sometimes my friend Lillian would come over and stay all day long. She's seen me on the floor in a heap of tears. And these women, they held me up. They held me up. I remember one time being at Verdugo Pines for Thanksgiving, and it was so dark. And it was Thanksgiving. It was this the happiest of times. My favorite family memories are at Verdugo Pines for Thanksgiving with all of the family. But this year, my world was so dark. I would go and I would hide in the bathroom stall, just feeling like I was absolutely crushed under the weight. And I remember laying in bed with Derek one night, and I said, I need help. And I just remember my world was so black. No prayer offered comfort. No scripture verse relieved the pain. The only thing I could think was somewhere, somewhere in the distance, Jesus Christ was on his throne. And I just went to bed that night, just saying over and over again, He's on his throne. He's on his throne. So anyway, in the middle of this battle, as I'm, and I, as the darkness is just continuing to grow, and uh, the weight is just nearly crushing me, something else happened that tried my faith like never before. Because I got on the internet. Now, Remember, I'm still wearing my locket. And there's still the dream of Esther Joy, the little girl that God promised me. And I got on the internet one day, and I was looking into some things with adoption, and I got an email from our adoption agency, and it was this, that China had changed their adoption policy. And that if you were on medication for depression, you would be excluded. 
and you would not be allowed to adopt. I was stunned. You see, at that time, medication felt to me like a temptation. Like, could there possibly be some relief? But my faith wouldn't let me do it. I had been told inappropriately by a church that if you're a woman of faith, you won't do that. You won't go there. And now, if you go on medication, that little girl, you won't be able to get her. Your dreams will die. And so what was already heavy, what was already crushing me, just became all the deeper, and I didn't know what to do, and I saw no way out. And I would just fall on my face before God. Fall on my face, crying out for him to save me. Well, the day that this all came to a head... um, Should have been in a mother's typical world. It it was a perfect day. The sun was shining. My husband was home. It was a beautiful Saturday afternoon. I think we had a swimming pool outside. The kids were playing, splashing. Everything looked picture perfect. Except for my soul. And on that day, I thought I was going to die. The pain in my soul was so crushing. I could not explain it, but I pulled my husband aside and said, Derek, help me. I feel like I need to go to the emergency room. I need help. Derek said, I'm going to help. He got on the phone and called his dad. And he said, we need to pray. We need to pray for my wife. And he called my dad. And he called my brother. And he called my brother-in-laws. And he said, meet at my parents' house tomorrow. We need to pray. We need to pray for my wife. That day, I will never forget. I went to my in-laws, Mike and Joanne's house, and for the first time, I just poured out my heart and my soul with everything that I was dealing with. And I talked to them about wanting help And I talked to them about medication and how I just felt like, could it be that something could help me? But I talked about how with my faith, how could I reconcile that with my faith? Like, didn't God call me to believe him? Shouldn't I believe him and be able to lift myself out of this? And I poured out my heart about my baby girl and my locket and her name and I said no matter what I cannot go on medication because if I do I am excluded from Chinese adoption and there's a little girl over there 
it's mine. And I need to bring home. And I just poured out my soul about I don't know what to do. Two things happened that night that I will never, ever forget. My brother got in my face in a kind way, but in a profound way. He got in my face and said, Elizabeth, do you believe that whether or not you are on medication can anything from the cross of Jesus Christ. Do you believe that? I didn't know. But that's exactly what I was doing. It's the first thing that happened. The second, second thing that happened is the same thing, but for my brother-in-law, Shad. He looked at me and he says, Elizabeth, if that seed of that baby girl that's been planted in your heart is from God, nothing is impossible. And if that is of him, he will do it. Regardless of whether or not you go on medication. You know, my family prayed over me that night, and it wasn't like this miraculous healing that took place but it did form a shift in my mind that had changed that changed actually the rest of the course of my life the next day my mom came home with me she knew how deeply I was struggling and I wanted to believe that I would just be healed instantly I didn't want to have to battle this anymore but my mom walked into my room and I was just sobbing and she says I'm gonna call a friend of ours, um, we had a friend, a very close friend of the family named Carol, and she was going to call her because she also wrestled very deeply with depression. So my mom got Carol on the phone, and Carol got on the phone and said to me, Elizabeth, if someone is battling asthma, do you lay your hands on them and pray, or do you give them their inhaler? Now, don't get me wrong. If someone's having an asthma attack, yes, while you're praying, get them their inhaler. And she says, Elizabeth, you are sick. And I'm going to tell you, there is hope. There is hope. And I have a, a doctor that I've been seeing for years and I'm going to call him right now and I'm going to make you an appointment. There is hope for you. And she told me her story of how, how in her depression, God had allowed her to be put on medication and her, the rest of her life was changed as her mind became stable once again. Now I'm going to tell you this. I did make an appointment and I went to a doctor his name was Dr. Atari and I'll never forget I'll never forget the day I walked into that room because I had believed that if I could possibly stay off medication that that was a great act of faith and if I could somehow muster up 
enough faith that somehow I would be healed. But what I realized in that moment, that the cross of Jesus Christ covered all of me. The cross of Jesus covered all of my weaknesses. And when I went into Dr. Atari that day, it was the greatest act of faith in the cross of Jesus Christ that I have ever displayed because I said, God, I am broken and I am casting myself upon your mercy and grace. And all I cling to is your cross. We were just looking at Romans 4 and it says, Jesus Christ was delivered up for our trespasses, but was raised for our justification. And when we throw ourselves upon his cross, our trespasses, our weaknesses, everything that's broken in us is completely covered. And he was raised to life for our justification, for our acceptance before him. Because of the cross of Christ, not because of anything to do with medication, I was completely accepted before God. And I handed him my locket. And I placed my hopes and dreams of adopting another little girl into his hands and say, I trust you. And no matter how big this mountain is, I will not be moved. I believe you. Psalm 27 that we read today says, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh, my adversaries and foes, it is they who stumble and fall. Though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. The war arise against me, yet I will be confident. And I put my foot down on the promises of God. And I said, I will not be Moved. I will set my face like flint to trust you no matter what happens. It changed my life. I feel like a miracle happens because God gave scientists some kind of wisdom and ability to create this little tiny pill that I can take on a daily basis and all of my darkness all of the crushing pain was wiped away. And I was able to have hope and joy and see and life and enjoy my children. I felt like a new woman, a new life had been granted to me. But the dream of adoption still stood. And one of the things I had talked to my doctor about, he knew I wanted to adopt. And he says, well, let's give it a year. Let's give it a year. And after one year, a lot of times your brain can retrain itself. And so let's see what happens. In a year, maybe you can come off. And then you can pursue your adoption in China. So that's what I did. After one year, 
I trusted God, I prayed, and I started to wean myself off that medication. But I'm going to tell you, it wasn't too long. And all the darkness and all the crushing pain came flooding back, and I felt like I was going to die all over again. But this time it was permanent. I knew that I needed to go back on medication and this was that, that last, that final hope was dashed. That I'm going to be completely severed off from Chinese adoption and I didn't know what God was going to do. And honestly, I had trial of faith again and choose once again to set my foot down no matter how dark no matter how impossible it seemed I'm gonna set my foot down I'm gonna believe God so I went back on the medication and I didn't sit down and and calculate the years but it was years went back on I came to the place of that restoration where I had my life back again but I didn't know what was ever going to happen with adoption I didn't know what God was going to do we had some friends some very very dear friends of our family um, were we're going through the process of Chinese adoption. And gosh, I don't even remember how many years this was, but I remember sitting in my chair and they had arrived in China and they were finally being united with their son after many, many years of praying, many, many years of waiting. And I was sitting in my rocking chair reading their blog as they were in China, reading about the story of how they had met their son. And when I was reading, an email popped up on my phone that caught my attention because it was from an adoption agency. And this is what it said. The rules, the guidelines for Chinese adoption have changed once again. You are no longer disqualified. Did you hear that? Nothing is impossible with God. You see, I look at that and China changed its rules that no longer was a family disqualified for Chinese adoption if they were on medication for depression. But I'm going to tell you, it, this was between me and God. And I had believed him. And he moved the Chinese government. God can move nations. And he said, nothing is impossible for me. And exactly 10 years to the day that we were referred Mary Grace, we got a second phone call on November 10th and we had another little girl. 10 years to the day. 
He can be trusted. He must be trusted. And we don't have to fear. The righteous are bold as a lion. God had called me to wait 10 years. But remember that word waiting? It's the twisting and the tension like a rope. And it gets so hard at times. But he didn't forsake Noah. He didn't forsake Abraham. And he will not forsake you. All to Jesus I surrender all to him I freely give. Against all hope, Abraham believed that he would become a father of many nations. And no unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God. But he grew strong in his faith and gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. And I'm telling you, God simply loves impossible situations. Will you believe him? Will you believe him? All to Jesus I Will you believe what his word says? At his feet I bow. Be strong and you trust in him. And I believe you will look upon the Lord in the land of the living. He will not forsake you.